This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. I think what's what's become clearer certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business you know you could be super lucky you your game is an instant hit it's resonating with users but for when that's not the case uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level that's where we come in so we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at Iron Source. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's Incrementality Solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Hey folks, and welcome to This Week in Games. We got the full crew, Adam Telfer, Eric Suford, Eric Kress, and Eric Suford, you were just talking about your fabulous app, right? That's right, yeah. App I work with called Fabulous. Help people build healthy, sustainable routines. What kind of a healthy, sustainable routines have you built during the lockdowns? The least healthy, least sustainable, work all the time. Uh, never separate myself from from uh, working hours routine, which is, uh, I should be using the app more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the app is working, right? <laughs> yeah. So everybody download Fabulous. It will make you more productive. Um, I don't know more happier, but at least more productive for sure. <laughs> um, all right. How's it going? How's it going, everybody? All good. I was up in Sacramento. It was fucking 111 degrees, man. 111, dude. It's like oh inhuman God. up there. And I guess we're going through a heat wave. Uh, in Northern California this next couple of days. But my, oh. my daughter played in a volleyball tournament and they crushed it until the end where they lost the final game. They beat like, I think they won like nine matches and then they lost the last game. It was really, really <laughs> sad for them. They just got tired. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's what you I stopped, did all weekend. You stopped at uh, Vacaville on your way there or back? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Vacaville was the peak hotness. It was like, yeah, 112 or something, at you know, in Vacaville. It's brutal. So, brutal, so, so that so that uh, half of the the listeners understand, 111 is in normal world terms 43 Celsius, <laughs> and that's really really hot. But you have to you have to also appreciate the fact that I am alabaster white, right? So sun yes. is bad, bad, bad for me. Like it's mm -hmm. so uncomfortable, and I'm always wearing like long sleeves and pants, <laughs> and so I, I look like a freaking moron up there, right? So I, but it's the only way I can get comfortable. Anyway, I hate the heat. I hate the heat. I'm staying in San Francisco where it's nice and foggy and cool yeah. and windy. All right, um, 
we have hard stops, so let's get let's, moving. Let's roll, let's roll, let's roll. So we got three, three, uh, three pieces of news today. So we're going to talk about Tim Cook facing harsh questions about App Store from Judge in Fortnite Trial. And we're going to talk about here's why Apple says Microsoft xCloud gaming streaming isn't on the iPhone. And then something that I've promised episode or two ago. So going through EA Mobile uh, based on their quarterly announcement. So a few numbers here and there. We're going to discuss that. Eric Kress, let's jump into the updates. All right, the first update. So definitely got a little bit of blowback from this whole Netflix thing. Um, you know, I, I, I am definitely pulling back on my full-blown skepticism of Netflix's strategy for two reasons. One, from my understanding, Netflix really takes a slow approach, you know, to these sorts of projects. They're not like going balls deep like Google and Apple and Amazon and throwing all kinds of money into these things, right? So that's a really, really good thing. So they, they will take their time and make it happen, right? And then also Chris Heatherly, uh, formerly NBC Universal, pointed out uh, that it's very likely that they're probably building more interactive content as opposed to AAA products, things like Bandersnatch. And they're not going after like Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. Um, so if these things are true, then I definitely could see how they could be successful as they build this up. And what's really great is it could bring a whole new format to interactive content that could bring in new audiences and new experiences. And I think this is really exciting for the industry potentially and a great opportunity for creative people um, in our business. However, if these, these are wrong and they are trying to go after Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, they're just going to get annihilated. I don't care how big you are. I, don't, I, I just don't think trying to compete in this space unless you're willing to just sacrifice everything, you know, tons and tons of money and tons and tons of bodies. Can you ever, ever compete with Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo in, this, in the AAA market? Um, and I don't think there's really any reason for it either. So, um, so you know, we, we'll see what their kind of official strategy is. And, and, and my reaction was to other people's reaction to this announcement, not necessarily what they said, because Netflix hasn't said anything. This is all big leak. So, um, so when they get more official, they, I, I'm hearing that there's some people they're looking at for to to run this thing, and and that gives me a little bit more hope. Um, but but yeah, we'll see what they actually officially announce, and, and when we will make an assessment at that point. But heavily, thank you for the uh, feedback on LinkedIn. Um, um, and uh, but haven't and, they been doing that interactive stuff, interactive experiences for a while now? They've had people hired in that role for years. Yeah. Yeah, they have. I, I doubt that this is about interactive, like video no. content. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, like I feel like they're already building that. Yeah. This, at least from the headlines, well, and I know this is all speculation, but it really did feel like their their ambitions were broader than just interactive experiences. That was Chris's well, take. Then, then, then they will fail. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but if they, but if it's like let's have something like unique experience. That, that you can build with a streaming service, like, you know, yeah, I think interactive story content choices, things like that. Like, I mean, I think that makes more sense, right? Rather than trying to build a platform and, and get AAA game development on it. I mean, that makes no sense at this I, stage. I, 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 don't, I don't actually agree. So Chris actually, we had a call with Chris. He was, because oh, yeah? we were on the same LinkedIn thread. So we were just like, you know what, just call me. And then we had a discussion. And I know his point of view, and he was very bullish on the uh, interactive content. But didn't Fox Next try interactive content? They had that studio in... Oh, yeah. It was a disaster. Yeah. And then, uh, and I think... But, but, oh, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Thing. But they were building a standalone experience. You know, Netflix is just trying to build content to help support their existing subscription, right? So they're basically trying to keep people engaged with uh -huh. with the service right that's a different problem than Eric, being have, a startup have you starting... played choices or episodes or any of those games yeah yeah i played it a little bit yeah they're pretty raunchy so i don't know what ip can yeah. you know kind of give you the leeway especially on the marketing side all that farting in your face and like baby no, 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 i'm not suggesting they're stuff. replicating that i'm suggesting that they're going to build things like bunderstatch or something mm -hmm. like that 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 is an interactive <laughs> story <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. It's by the way, it's a stupid freaking name, right? Come on, man! Can't they come up with a name that's easier to pronounce and to remember? It took me like, anyway, moving so on. We don't Anyways, know. Move on. Move on. There, there's going to be more. All right, uh, my updates. So I again, I'll just I think it was last episode where I was talking about Northguard, and I said I'm totally over that game, and then I kind of turned it on and, and wasted like one day. <laughs> God yeah. damn it. It's like a it's really good game. So don't download Northgard if you're into settlers or anything like that. Uh, I play it on iPad and it's amazing. Anyway. Well you got you got me into it. So I downloaded are you it playing after the it? episode. Yeah, dude, I I'm I'm hooked as well. It reminds me of Warcraft 3. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's really like good. I'm restarting yeah. it over again, just choosing different clans and 
yeah. optimizing the shit out of my little Viking village. And then there's like rat infestations. There's like ghosts that arrive and like, it's all, it's like a, it's like Sims meets world meets Warcraft. Yeah. That's really good. Sim, Sim city. Yeah. Anyways, f- fucking great game. Northgard just on steam or iPad. Get it. Anyways. Uh, so a couple of news, uh, the new social gaming platform noise by, um, powerful Yusilakonen, who was founder of Amplifier, that became later Unity Ads. Uh, he raised $5 million from uh, founders of Supercell, Unity, Remedy. So he's building a social platform for gamers and, and esports. Companies. So there's not a lot of uh, news about what he's building, but um, seems very exciting. He's built a, a big team, uh, mostly out of Helsinki. Of course. Uh, something big in the, in the cooking <laughs> <laughs> Did you see move back to Helsinki? Um, I think he's still in Switzerland. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, you could probably raise with, you know, a handwritten post-it note. You know what uh, I mean? Yussi is also not the guy who needs to raise as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yes, he's a uh, he's a uh, he's a uh, he's a powerhouse. Uh, anyway, uh, Double Loop, uh, the company founded by Emily Greer. Uh, raised $8 million for its first game for unconsidered gamers. And Emily Greer, known as the CEO of Congregate. Yes, I always want to say Contagion, but that was the different one, Congregate. Uh, Emily is, uh, I mean, I really enjoy her. Um, her uh, GDCA, GDCA talks. The GDCA talks are, are fantastic. She mm-hmm. marries data with, with insights and uh, overall, just a just a fantastic person. Anyway, uh, moving on. Facebook Gaming adding new monetization for video on-demand creators. So this means that Facebook Gaming is going after YouTube creators. They're starting with monetization and testing how people support their favorite creators by sending stars, which is a currency that people can send during during a video that they're watching. So this is the new way for the viewers to show their fans outside the live stream. And what stars are is, is a currency that the fans can purchase. Uh, and then basically, you know, throw money at the uh, at the entertainers. So anyway, this program is in pilot testing for for a small group of creators with hopes to roll out more broadly soon. And, and they're also naturally adding uh, ads to the stream. So they're called live breaks, which is a new form of mid-roll ads to partner for gaming creators. So essentially new ways for creators to to get paid, both by by, you know, getting cash thrown at them. Uh, the, the star currency, as well as just putting ads into their streams. A couple of news that came in just during these last hours. Take-Two entering soccer market with soccer market. It's a football. Take-Two entering football market <laughs> with 378 million Nordius acquisition. So it's 225 million upfront in cash and shares. And the price could rise as high as 378, of course, if the certain thresholds are reached. Take-Two. This is their third mobile studio. Before that, they acquired Social Point in 2017, Playdots in 2020. And actually, the uh, the CEO of Playdots, I believe he's current head of mobile for Take-Two um, yeah. as it is. Yep. Um, Nier. I think his name is Nier. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I've met him actually once. Um, so what, what Nordius has is top 11, and that is what you would call a forever franchise. Uh, they made about 200 million net on mobile. I think they've made a lot, a lot, I don't know, a lot more, a lot less, but they made a significant amount on Facebook because I remember when that game launched like 12 years ago on Facebook. And on mobile, 200 million uh, in net revenue with about 100 million of downloads, making solid 4 million net a month, according to Sensor Tower, and actually have been going up during the last year. And back in the days when I was still working at Zynga, I remember that Zynga was making an NFL version of of this game that didn't work out too well. And there's been a lot of different copycats that tried to do top 11, but that's why top 11 is top 11. So it's, it's basically, um, yeah, it's as forever franchise as there can be, but Nordius hasn't shipped a hit game in addition to top 11. So I think uh, that's, that's their only game. And they've been definitely trying building studio in, in Serbia, uh, attracting a lot of different talent there, but, but um, they're still yeah, writing. I, in that. I, 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 one, my one comment on this, this by far is the make the most, the acquisition that makes the most sense out of the three, right? Social Point and Playdots makes no sense for take two. I, I don't even understand why, right? I mean, a revenue filler, maybe. But this, at least there's a way for them to enter the soccer market and compete against EA without trying to do a AAA product without FIFA, right? And so, um, I mean, this product 
seems to be decent, but it's it's not something that's going to move you know move mountains for something as big as Take Two. <laughs> but it, no. it's definitely a good way of getting into the market. And EA is doubling down on mobile as as we, we're going to talk about later, um, and trying to build out their FIFA product. Um, so this creates a potentially a little bit legitimate competitor that's yeah. really well funded. So I actually applaud this acquisition. This kind of makes sense to me, I, yeah. but I don't know the Nordius team at all. I um, I, yeah, but um, what, what does take two really do when they acquire these types of studios? Like at least with social point, social point has gone completely quiet since the acquisition. Yeah. I, they don't know fuck all about mobile, right? As far yeah. as I understand it. So they're, they're, like, just well, kind of this game is an, an excellent game. Um, I, I've actually been playing, um, top 11 quite a bit over the last like decade really. And, um, it's, it's, I don't know, football management as a genre has some of the strongest engagement you can see across all different platforms. So um, as a game, as a forever franchise, this makes complete sense, but I just don't know what Take-Two do, does with this. I think Nordius is a great company um, that, that really should almost be left alone by Take-Two to continue to, to build up their why, why don't they monetize better than that? Like, I mean, they only make you know, $2 for download, right? It seems like really low monetization for a game with that kind of audience. And yeah, it, it doesn't have um, a gotcha loot box based economy, right? It's actually like a real time bidding economy. Um, so it actually feels like you're really bidding for players. Um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and okay. it, it has been monetizing better and better when you look at the other graphs. So they've been actually doing better while the installs are going down. So they have been making improvements, but it's hard for a game that is what, 11 years old? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's kind of hard to, to redo the economy and plus it's working. So uh, I think Nordius is a good company. I wouldn't say great because in order for it to be great, it would have to have more games than one. But it's definitely <laughs> like I'm, I'm super happy for the uh, for the founders well, and, and and for the Serbian ecosystem because this is going to drive more companies to to rise there. But then there's also the chance for them to replicate this across other sports in, yeah. in theory, I suppose. Yeah, they've, they've tried that. I, I don't know. They uh, other studios have tried that. Zynga tried that with with football. Yeah, um, it's like extremely it. difficult, and it's kind of difficult. Like. It, as soon as you talk about like the difference between FIFA and Madden and NHL, right? Moving to other sports doesn't necessarily mean that you can actually match the success. Yeah, yeah but I mean that's what they're going to talk up. That's the PR hit, right? It's like, sure, oh yeah, we sure. have this. You know, we have this engine. We're going to take it to NBA. We're taking it to NHL. Yeah. Like you leverage our expertise in AAA to do mobile. You know how that works. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah this would right, almost better fit EA to be honest with with their. They're launching six FIFA games. I mean, we're going to talk about that later. Anyways, uh, final piece of news. So Valorant is the latest big shooter to get a mobile spinoff. I think we talked it on this podcast. I think I made a prediction. You guys laughed me off. You're like, no, 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 no way. Valorant is too twitchy. It's this and that. Here you go. That's the news. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's successful. Yes. Uh, yes they can I only said that they're going to do it. I only they're said they're going to do it. And you just like, you laughed me well, off. Okay. First of all, they're going to have to modify it. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's not even going to look like Valorant after they get through with it if they want to make it successful on mobile. We don't know. Powerful Riot will do. I think, I think this is them just trying to like, <laughs> look at what happened with Honor of Kings and League of Legends, right? Like, look, we're just going to be the first to mobile with our game. Um, we're going to build it. It's just, I don't know. I don't know about the success of a shooter like this on mobile, right? We'll see. Hero shooter on mobile. Do, do you believe that Valorant on mobile could could work better listen, than, say, PUBG listen, or COD? No offense to to the powerful people at Valorant who are always listening to this podcast, but I played through the tutorial of Valorant and uninstalled it. It was so difficult. I got murdered. It's extremely difficult, but it's still like top on Twitch. It just had that that huge viewership of their their esports event, right? Like, (laughs) you can't really judge a book based on its tutorial, or you can't really judge a a game, a live service based on its tutorial, right? Um, Some of these super super thorny live services are the best retaining ones. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it's just it's just. That is not particularly in my. By, by the way, and you're not the target demo. You're the freaking nerd playing Northgard, right? Some real time strategy true. for old people, right? You I can't want to optimize that Viking village yeah. in in yeah. the calm of, of like I want to take care of my people. <laughs> you as, you want to be able to pause the game so that you could like take a nap, exactly. you know, right? I want to be I want to be in the bed and like optimizing the economy of this game, not like being headshotted by by different skills. Somebody seeing me behind the wall, it's like so get out of here. Twelve year old. Smart cursing uh, at you calling your names <laughs> yeah exactly no riot's community is super nice they wouldn't ever do that anyway uh so finally uh we got the, uh, the level up event coming in this month june 22nd and 23rd you can catch us all there eric suford eric crest adam telfer ton of great speakers 
like like ton and ton like you name it they're there and even the prodigy son joseph kim is doing a couple of panels so put your same put your name in the uh there's a link below in the description um limited seats we're going to choose only the uh, the first 1000 not first 1000 we're going to choose 1000 and then um that's going to be the cap for the event so please sign up anyway let's talk about tim cook all right tim cook so this was supposedly covered last week but uh, we're a little bit couple weeks behind now, but uh, Tim Cook faces harsh questions about the App Store from the judge in the Fortnite trial. So Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers engaged Cooks in a tense exchange over Apple's business model. So after I talked trash about her and her capabilities, which I should have never done because I don't know anything about this kind of thing, she just ripped him a new one. It was awesome. Like finally, after all these weeks of this trial, something something like substantive has come out and actually, and and, and she basically put him to task and I, he was not prepared. He was really not prepared. And so generally I do not like reading stuff, but I have to read this stuff because the words themselves speak for it, right? I don't need to do any embellishment here. But um, so anyway, Rogers basically started attacking him on the merits of the 30%, basically. Why are you getting 30% from the App Store, from all your developers? And she had a few points that she went through, and, and I'm just gonna run through them so that you know, but I would just read the article and it, it kind of is it, self-explanatory. And, 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 and from the coverage that I read, her mentality around this, the reason, the fact that she was asking these type of questions that were so probing is probably her mentality on what may happen by the end of this trial. Now. She, so, but but we, they're a little bit unsure. There's people on back both, both sides of it. But if if this is what she really thinks about what's going on with Apple and the App Store, then this could be really bad for Apple. You know, when she comes to her own case. Now, it's going to be appealed to high heaven. This is going to be years and years before any decision is made. Maybe it goes to the Supreme Court. Who the fuck knows? But anyway, so what she said is she said that the majority of Apple's App Store revenue is coming from games, and she asked Cook specifically why developers cannot use other payments to sell in-app purchases um, or make these transactions elsewhere. And so his response was, if, you know, if they wanted to go get a cheaper, oh, sorry. So he said, if, if they want to get a cheaper Battle Pass or V-Bucks and they, they, and they don't know that they've got an option, what is the problem with Apple giving them the option? And this was, this was Tim Cook's response. If we allow people to think like that, we would just, in essence, give up our total return on our IP. Um, and, and basically, they say that you know maintaining the platform on iOS, et cetera, and and they other companies would get a free ride if they were able to do that, right? But but what Roger said, and this is the key point in my opinion, is that the gaming industry seems to be generating the disproportional amount of money relative to the to the IP that you are giving them, and everyone else is basically getting the real free ride. In a sense, they're subsidizing the gaming business is subsidizing all the revenue. And all the app store because they represent like i think close to like 70 percent of the revenue on the app store um so anyway she continued to ask him you know why don't you charge like wells fargo right or bank of america you charge them per unit per per transaction or something you know why why is gamers subsidizing wells fargo by paying the 30 percent and wells fargo pays nothing right and that you know it was and this was like a deliberate choice like evidently from apple to do so right and so she, and, and the, the, here's the, other, but the second point that was actually critical is that they understand the notion that Apple is bringing customers to their users, right? And that, but with the introduction the first time, with the first interaction, it makes sense to charge that kind of rate. But afterwards, you're just profiting from that ongoing relationship with the pub publisher itself, right? And so that doesn't make sense to continue to, to take the 30% heart rate. So anyway, the issue is that, 39% uh, of the developers, oh, the other, the other big issue is, and this is the, the one that I think probably hurt their <laughs> feelings a little bit, is that based upon survey work, 39% of developers seem somewhat or very dissatisfied with their service, right? And how is that acceptable? They're not really even providing the service to the publishers that are, that are, that are giving them the lion's share of the revenue. Um, and so, you know, it's not incentivizing them to fit their needs at all, right? Even though they're getting this 30%, they're still dissatisfied with the service and they're not providing the service that justifies that 30% is kind of her point. All right, where to begin? This is what I've been saying for the last two years on this stupid podcast is that Apple doesn't give a fuck about anybody but Apple, right? It doesn't care about partners or developers. It is just going after what they want to sell more 
hardware and to get as much revenue from the app store as possible. And that's how they optimize themselves. Um, and what's second is that, that Apple has such a dominant platform on our dominant presence in this market that the, 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 the coverage of this was mixed. <laughs> like Apple had done something good, right? But the judge called them out specifically that they're charging way too much for what they're providing and not being equitable in terms of how they charge, right? And third, you know, even though the trial was kind of a debacle and doesn't, didn't really have anything substance come out of it, you know, the judge just basically came up with the exact way of describing this situation is that 30% is unfair take rate. It's only fair in the first introduction, not on an ongoing basis, right? And they're doing little to support the development community that they're extracting so much value from, right? And it seems very, very obvious that this is a problem and the judge sees it as a problem. And I think it'll continue to be a problem for them from a PR perspective as we continue to do more and more, you know, uh, legal cases coming in. And then finally, like during this time, the exact same time, European regulators basically said on Friday that Apple has a monopoly and they're using it to the disadvantage of streaming services like Spotify. And so the EU is far more easier to get things done. And so they, they will do pursue, this was a preliminary finding and they likely will go after them and, and basically do an injunction on them or, or, or charge them or I don't know, whatever, 10% of revenue or whatever it is to make sure that this, this behavior doesn't happen. And so they basically, their quote was, the European Commission has informed Apple in its preliminary view that it's distorted competition in the music streaming market is, a, is as it uh, abused its dominant position for distribution of music streaming app through the app store. And, and they basically summarized their statement of objections and sent it to Apple. So ultimately that will result in some kind of, of act, action against Apple going forward in, in my, well, what is what the article suggests. So, and again, Europe acts much faster in these situations, you know, and this will hold Apple responsible for this, this type of behavior. Um, but going back to the original podcast we had with the lawyers regarding this, and I think we probably should do a follow-up now that the case is finished, is that what the, what the lawyer said the last time we talked about this was that the, that the case itself would not likely result in any type of action per se, but the overall PR and, and the additional lawsuits that will come from it and, and, and the exposure of what Apple is actually doing behind the scenes, which we have seen, will likely result in additional cases and actual action by Apple. And we don't know what that will be, but, but ultimately Europe will probably lead the charge come after them and they, they may have to change the way they actually operate the, the app store. Um, and I don't know if they'll allow other people to do transactions or they'll just bring down the rate to more of a reasonable level. But I think there will be likely action going forward. It's kind of my completely ignorant legal opinion. <laughs> but, but, but from everyone I talk to, it seems like that's the case. So anyway, I thought it was awesome. I thought Tim Cook got the good beat down that he should. And he's, he looked kind of foolish up there. So um, so we'll see what happens going forward. Anybody have any? Yeah, he, well, I, I, I agree. I think the 30% is, is just untenable. I, I think Epic did this for just to shine a light on, on these practices, right? I mean, they got however many thousands of pages published from Discovery. People are seeing all the backroom deals that were concocted, right? Like, and it's almost just, um, uh, you know, it's just brazen you know, sort of manipulation, uh, what they were, what they were doing. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be able to justify the 30% for much longer. I think that's not long for this world. I feel like, you know, also just, just this idea that, you know, uh, the, the, the weird, the weird sort of like logical gymnastics you have to do to say, well, no, we, we can take the money from games, but yeah, I won't take a cut of the transaction on Wells Fargo or like these other, but I, you know, I can justify taking it on Spotify, but then I let Spotify opt out with web flows, but like other companies, I won't allow that because Spotify is a reader app. And it's like, come on, like this has just gotten too unwieldy. You can't, you can't, your, your iron grip has to relax at this point. Yeah. What I forgot to mention is the whole definition of gaming or some, some ridiculous definition of games of how Roblox is not a game. And like, well, I'm, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to touch on that in the, in my Oh, okay. So my piece. Yeah. 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 All right. you, I, 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 I actually, honestly, I read through that. I really didn't understand what the hell they were talking about. It sounded like complete nonsense. So I'm, I'm hoping that maybe you can educate me on that one. So, so do you think that the 30% cut will change in the next year? And what percentage do you think it'll actually go to? No, I, I think it's going to be years away. Yeah. Okay. But I, I think something will happen with Spotify. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're going to have to like, 
renegotiate how that works in the next year or so, I would imagine. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why I want to bring the lawyers back on so that we actually can get like a, a sense of how long these sorts of things take and mm-hmm. how much pressure do they need in order to like basically do what's freaking obvious, right? Is that- yeah. But does know. this also pressure Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo to do, to do well, the exact same thing? Well, this was actually covered a little bit too in the article is that like they actually provide a service. Like they're selling a hardware at a discount in order to provide the platform for people to to do transactions on. So in some ways they actually deserve more of the ongoing revenue or ongoing uh, royalty because they're actually creating creating the service. Now they, they could ultimately come under fire, you know, and reduce that, but um, but I think you could justify their their take a little bit more, but but maybe 30%. And is, is it consistent much. as well? Like is on Microsoft, on Sony, on Nintendo. Yeah. They also everyone, have media streaming apps, but I think in all of those cases, they don't offer payment through the platform for Netflix and for whatever no. TV services, no, that's, right? That's, so, so everything then ends up being uniform across the whole platform. That's true. But to your point, they're, they're not charging Netflix 30% on subscription, right? Yeah, it's, no. it's no. what is what is Epic trying to like? What are they trying to achieve, and when is the uh, verdict coming in? Uh, I mean, again, the, the verdict will come, and I don't know where it's going to go on this case, but it'll be it'll be appealed almost immediately, mm-hmm. and it'll just continue and continue until Epic runs out of Epic or Apple runs out of money, which <laughs> neither of them are ever going to run out of money. Yeah. So I just uh, hope there's so, more leaks. That all that data was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> That's what I, I hope for. I know. What, one 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 clarification is Spotify, so Spotify they don't allow you to subscribe with an IEP they just direct you to the website so it's Netflix and and so is YouTube YouTube even canceled all subscriptions that were done via IEPs and made you resubscribe on the website with a credit card so it's just like this weird and and they know that they can't enforce that against Spotify Apple can't lose Spotify people would just say wait a minute I just lost my favorite music service mm-hmm. right now I'm going to switch to Android and the, the Spotify's issue is that they've got a you know Apple has a competing product that is pre-installed, right? Yeah. That's Spotify's issue. And then, and then they were like dinging Spotify's updates for a while um, for, you know, these like, you know, arbitrary reasons while they have this Apple music. Pre- so like there are any competitive issues there that are unrelated to kind of IAPs and, and the take rate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird. Like Apple has, has started competing with a lot of its service providers. They got Apple TV. I mean, that's not direct competitor yet with Netflixes and whatnot, but it is, does have shows that it wants to, you know, wants you to subscribe that are exclusive. It has music and now it has games too. Yeah, yeah I mean, Apple, Apple Arcade is scaring everybody in the industry, right? It's going to yeah. take over the App Store. Right? No one's <laughs> yeah. going to buy any more games from Playrix or Supercell because Apple Arcade is so compelling. Well, it could have been different. They could have been actually very compelling. Like, it, no. let's say if Apple Arcade would have been, like, let's put it this way, if it would have been a, uh, a massive success, then it would have been another competitor. There, there, there is no chance. Vertical. This is back to the point that Chris Heatherly was making. Like, there is no way in hell that Apple could have ever been successful with Apple Arcade. Like, they they just couldn't. It's just not within their DNA to build service services like this. Yeah. And he gave me a hard time because, like, he basically said that, oh yeah, well, everyone's going to fail the way you look at things. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> because most, not many things succeed. Do fail, but most companies. But, do and, fail. and 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 the amount of the scale of sorry. The scale required to succeed at Apple is in the billions, right? Mm-hmm. You have to make billions to make even a dent in their business. Yeah. So that's what the problem is. It's a question of scale. And so, yeah, none of these guys are going to succeed. Amazon's not going to see Google, Apple, whatever. They can't succeed in things that are outside of their core business because this the amount of scale required is just insane. Yes. Yeah. And so so I, I especially I, especially in data-driven companies like Amazon or Netflix, it's kind of hard to to say like, well, we're not bringing the money, but people yeah. are really like engaging and this is driving something else. I'm like, shut the fuck yeah, up. Dude. Like, no, it's not. This is this is like the story of Ubisoft's whole thing. So I, why am I going on this? All right. Let's, yeah. move, on, let's, we gotta let's go. move on. Let's, let's move talk on. about uh, uh, So uh, the article uh, that I'm covering here today, the title is, here's why Apple says Microsoft's xCloud game streaming isn't on the iPhone. And it's uh, it's from CNET. And the question at the art at the heart of the article is so and and this this uh, this came out uh, in the in the in the uh, in the um, in the trial and, and there were there were documents 
released. But the question at the heart of the article uh, that's that's posed in the article is, you know, why is Apple not allowing Microsoft's xCloud game streaming service on the iPhone and it's not allowing Google Stadia service on the iPhone and in the App Store anyway? But Roblox is allowed, right? Roblox is a game streaming service, uh, effectively. And, um, you know, this, this kind of ties into, to, to, you know, a, a bunch of insight that came out of the lawsuit, which is uh, described in a piece on Polygon titled, Apple might have scared one of the biggest gaming companies in the world. And I'll, I'll quote from that. And the quote is, on May 17th, muddying things even further during the trial, Apple said it's okay with games within apps so long as the company behind the app takes responsibility for the content. Phil Schiller, one of the company's Apple fellows, further testified that Roblox's games can stay on the platform since they're made by creators and not former formal game developers, right? And so, I mean, to me, that's that's kind of a ridiculous justification, right? So Apple's saying, well, look, Xbox game streaming is is the streaming of like these kind of professionally made AAA games, and Roblox is basically just like a creator community. It's a sandbox. And so because of that, um, that you know, we'll allow will allow that to happen and Roblox takes responsibility for the for the games that it it sort of publishes but but X, Xbox streaming obviously doesn't because they're published by you know these third party developers um, and and I think I, I wanted to draw attention to you know something else um, which was from a tweet uh, that Matt Ball uh, well retweeted or, or quoted from um, and it was from a journalist who was present in the in the trial and um, an epic lawyer had referred to Roblox as a, uh, a you know a, 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 a an app with a collection of games in it, and one of the Apple execs um, who was testifying said, "I don't see it that way." Um, and and so uh, the reason that that they don't see it that way is that they sort of are defining Roblox and the content that you consume in Roblox as experiences, quote unquote experiences, right? Um, and and so the judge asks, well, if you don't see Roblox that way, what what does the Roblox app app do? And the Apple exec responds, Roblox is an app where users create a profile, hang out with their friends, and they can join in these experiences that I would look at as content. Um, if you think of a game or app, games are incredibly dynamic. Games have a beginning and an end. There's challenges in place. I look at the experiences that are in Roblox similar to the experiences in Minecraft, which are also not games, apparently, is from the, from the journalist. Uh, the, and the Apple exec said, uh, they have maps, they have worlds, they have boundaries in terms of what they are capable of. And so, you know, Apple is basically just taking this, you know, Sharpie and they're drawing the boundaries of a game uh, in such a way so as to kind of perfectly not fit Roblox so that Roblox can be allowed to stream games in the App Store and then these other streaming services can't. And I think this is a fairly clear-cut case of where Apple's App Store guidelines have become so convoluted over time that they've basically become nonsensical and abstruse. The, the content that Roblox exposes to users is clearly a collection of games. I don't think any reasonable person, especially any, any reasonable person that works in games would dispute that. Um, and since those games aren't downloaded, then by definition, they are streamed. It, you know, I wrote about this on, on Mobile Dev Memo a few months ago in a post titled, Why is Roblox allowed to stream games on iOS? Um, and I think you know, the, the, the real issue here is that the App Store guidelines have become a big ball of restrictions that have very odd exemptions, such as the reader app rule, which is just sort of applied when Apple wants to allow an app to exist, but doesn't really have any justification for allowing it you know, relative to its no app stores in the app store rule or no streaming rule uh, and so on. And Roblox is such an important app for the app store. It is allowed to apply these exemptions to itself or it gets grandfathered into these exemptions where other newer products such as Stadia or Xbox streaming service didn't or don't. And also Roblox supports app store, right? It's not just because it generates a lot of revenue, but it's, it's very necessary for Roblox to be on the, on the app store because if it isn't, then people will go elsewhere because, you know, people are very fanatical about Roblox. Um, you know, so I think, you know, there, there's, there's a couple problems with running an app store. Uh, and, and one thing is, one, one of those is that as it scales, you just have so many edge cases that they're not really edge cases anymore. Like the edge cases are the majority of the cases that you have to kind of litigate against. And, and one thing that I've always maintained, and I wrote a post about it a few months ago called Two Fundamental Principles of Operating an App Store, is that any app store has to enforce a no app stores in the app store clause just in order to function. It's, it's like that you can't wish for more wishes clause uh, with magical genies. And so if you don't prevent app stores from proliferating within your marketplace, then you totally lose control of the marketplace, right? You're just basically the store that app stores are, are purchased from. And then those app stores can have app stores and it becomes a recursive nightmare. And I think this is ultimately why Epic's lawsuit is, is a little bit disingenuous 
um, kind of, you know, throwing a little criticism in Epic's direction now is because, well, they, they wouldn't be allowed to allow, uh, they wouldn't be able to allow mobile app stores to scale within their Epic store at, at you know, at a certain, at a certain level of, of usage or a number of apps that are available. It's just, it's simply not, it's simply not workable. Right. Um, but you know, that aside, the Roblox case highlights why enforcing even these very fundamental straightforward seeming rules becomes difficult as any app store scales to millions of apps. Because again, the edge cases become the majority of the cases that you have to actually protect against. Um, and I think what's, what you're seeing with Apple is just like, well, when they had a hundred apps or when they had a thousand apps, you know, these, these, these seemingly obvious rules made sense and they were enforceable and they were straightforward. Now that they have millions of apps, um, you know, it, it becomes like, it, it becomes, uh, you know, cumbersome to enforce these things. And these edge cases become the sort of majority of, of, of the sort of treatment. Um, and, you know, for that reason, like they just get into this situation where like this complex web of rules uh, becomes almost impossible to justify or explain. I don't know what the solution is. That's, that's the whole challenge, right? Is it basically allowing people to do transactions, you know, use their own transaction systems and, and not use the app store? Or is it just to reduce the fee ultimately to a reasonable level across the board, right? I mean, I don't think any of those solutions actually take all these quote unquote edge cases that you're talking about, right? But um, I, I guess my, my, my conclusion on all this is that I, I think Apple is going to have to change. Right. I don't think I don't think the status quo is going to continue at this 30 percent. Google will have to follow as well. I just think it's a matter of time. It's not when I mean, it's not if it's when. But um, I don't know. What do you think, Eric? Do you think it's like kind of inevitable or do you think? Yes, yeah, it's inevitable. Yeah. My, my point is that you, you can't it, again, like none of the, There's no solution to that edge case issue. It's like the marketplace gets big enough. You just can't wrap your arms around it with like a clear cut set of rules. Right. So that, and that's the issue. Like if anyone can point to like an inconsistency, like, well, no, Roblox is allowed to do it. Why aren't I? Well, obviously it's not in Apple's commercial interest to allow Stadia or uh, Microsoft's game streaming service on the app store. Right. Um, but because they don't they don't get any economic benefit from that. And also it's available elsewhere, uh, you know, right. but the issue is like if they have to if, if they're just pointing to like basically arbitrary rules or like weird definitions now to justify it. And it's and it's through those weird definitions that these companies are able to push back. And then you get people like Epic that have the money to, to come after you and spend, I don't know how many millions of dollars on a lawsuit like this. And, you, you know, you're just sort of it's, it's what you're doing becomes indefensible and you have to relent like you have to relax um, the sort of the, the heart of these rules, which is you either add more payments opportunities, you either allow uh, these sort of like app storage type app stores, which I, I don't think is, is uh, you know, is a, is a tenable uh, position or you have to um, just drop your fee. Right. And so Apple's going to have to do one or, or some combination of those. There's just there's no way to defend these weird like reader rule exemptions or like, Hey, it's not a game. It's, it's experiences. It, it just becomes too convoluted and, and, mm -hmm. and too uh, ridiculous. I think, I think even one of the options could be just having uh, some kind of a ceiling to the fee. Like at some point games, like, you know, some of the top grossing games that are generating up to billion and, and sometimes even 10 billion in lifetime revenues. Yeah. I think you, you have to put in some kind of cap. Like you're not really adding that much value after that. So right. it could be like a yearly, yearly cap that, you know, if you've given Apple, I don't know how much it could be like 50 mil, like maybe after that, we can relax a little bit. Like, right. come on guys. Like we're after all creators here. So, so yeah. I, I, I agree. It's, it's just a, it's, it's an unscalable model. And I think it wasn't designed for where we are right now, where the games are making hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, talking about hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, talk about EA Mobile. So these are notes for the, from their quarterly report. Uh, their mobile vision, I mean, the quarterly report was actually filled with mobile quotes. Uh, I put in like a control F mobile and it was just the whole document was filled with it. So definitely one of their, their key points. Anyway, EA's mobile vision is best in class gameplay, deeply engaging live service, a new mobile experience, and more ways to play that will introduce to reach more play more players all over the world. So they're transforming mobile into a growth center for their business. And they're at anyways, with addition of glue, a mobile growth plans, we expect to more than double our mobile business to 2 billion in annual net bookings within the next three years. So their focus areas are according to the quarterly review following strong focus on the sports category, 
With the combined expertise of Glue and EA, teams focused on engaging more sports fans. We plan to grow our sports mobile business by over 50% this year. So this means FIFA, Madden, they also mentioned UFC and MLB. I'll, talk, I'll touch upon this later. Uh, they talked about Apex Legends. They talk about having more than 100 million unique players in the game on console and PC. That's a very impressive number, but it's a number of installs, what I understand. Um, and it doesn't really tell you what their DAU, but they definitely talk about great engagement as well as growth in Asia, specifying Japan as one of the other key areas. Anyway, they're talking about the mobile version launching this year, and they're forecasting close to 20% year-over-year growth to 750 million in net bookings for Apex Legends in 2022, with significant potential for upside this year and beyond as they launch the Apex Legends mobile game. Then they talked about Battlefield Mobile. So again, Battlefield Mobile for mobile platforms in development by Industrial Toys. Uh, and the, and the, uh, the studio is in close partnership with DICE. Uh, the game is built ground up, as they're saying, and it's offering, quote, innovative experience. And finally, life services. They talk about Star Wars Galaxy Heroes, Sims, and Real Racing specifically. Uh, they're talking about growing player growing player bases outside U.S., so basically growing player acquisition spend, uh, deepening engagement in player investments, so otherwise product improvements, as well as driving new opportunities in non-Western markets, so new market entries. Okay, let's take a little bit of a critical deconstructing look at this. So first of all, they are doing major reorganizations at, e, uh, at EA, so... Previously, the mobile was run by Samantha Ryan, and she was also heading Bioware. But at the same time, to my understanding, sports wasn't part of mobile. And I don't know even if, it's, if it is right now. Um, but as they're going through reorg, reorg, as in any big company is going through reorg, even small company, it creates a lot of chaos. And we know that EA, EA is a... Is, EA is known to be a little bit of a Game of Thrones. So there's a lot of different factions that are pulling in different directions. And... At the same time, they're adding more executives. So currently, Jeff Carb joined from Big Fish. He's heading the mobile. Now, Nick Earl is coming in from Glue. Of course, both of them are ex-EA execs, so they probably should work well together and be like sharks in the water. Uh, but still, EA hasn't, in my knowledge, specified what are the roles for the Glue execs that are coming in and how that division is made between uh, current EA mobile and Glue. And how is mobile overall run with, with all these sort of a new execs coming in? And as we know, with any kind of organizational shakeup, that will slow things down significantly as people are unsure about what their position as they're trying to set up these different factions and, and pull for their own projects and so forth and so forth. So it must be uh, quite messy uh, at the moment. Um, and then it's unclear how they're going to how they're going to swallow glue. Uh, is it going to be a sort of a city-state model, which would be smart, but also unlikely? That's not something that, that EA has been known for. Or is it going to be a full integration down to even the you know analytics and UA, which will be very painful, quite slow, and has, in my opinion, a, a much higher chance of failure. And when we talk about failure in MA, like as the um, as you know, as if you look at Harvard's research, they say that 70 to 90% of all MA are deemed as failure afterwards. So uh, there's a high chance that the acquisition of Glue is not going to be successful just based on stats. And of course, the stats will be different based on how they, how they integrate the company. Now, looking at sports, uh, and this was mentioned as one of the key elements that, that EA is focusing on. Their last year in sports wasn't too good. Madden was down 41% year over year. NBA was down 26% year over year. FIFA was up by only about 2%. So they're, according to the Sensor Tower, making about 100 million net, and they made again 100 million net, but with about 10 million less installs. So um, doing a little bit better, but not definitely growing according to the market. And we also know that they're planning to launch six new FIFA mobile games in the coming year, which, which, which sounds like a lot. Uh, they mentioned UFC specifically in the quarterly report. I looked at the number. I'm a big UFC fan, but the game wasn't good. And according to the numbers, it made 2 million in revenue in 2020 uh, with about two, 11 million installs. And then uh, finally, the MLB, that's, that's coming from Glue's side. And that MLB franchise has been doing better and better. So every year, the game improves by about 
10%. And every year they actually launch a new game. So it will be interesting to see whether this strategy changes or whether it will be adopted by other sports games where MLB launches a new app every game and sunsets the previous one uh, versus EA has been traditionally just focusing on one game and kind of resetting the progression uh, inside the game. Uh, finally, uh, not finally, talking about their shooter games, it's going to be very difficult. They're working on, with NetEase on Apex. Um, NetEase doesn't really have success in the West, but they do have in the, in, the, in the East. I mean, Knives Out is their top shooter game. It's doing pretty well in Japan and China. But their Western expansions has, has failed thus far. Like Badlanders was, was their last game. Looks like Apex Legends is built on that engine and, and Badlanders failed. So kind of like the main questions, whether it's Battlefield or Apex, is understanding if the shooter core is good enough. That's, that's going to be a key element there. Understanding the audience, both Apex and, and Battlefield are probably uh, going to go head-to-head -head against the prevalent top games like COD, PUBG, Fortnite. Um, you know, what are the, uh, the technical specs? Will it be so low level that it could compete with Garena? Or is it just competing against these top production level games? And when it comes to working with NetEase, like what is the revenue split between EA and, 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 uh, and NetEase? So that that's also likely has, a, has an effect. And, um, and actually, no, sorry. I think the um, Apex Legends are built by Tencent, not NetEase, correct, Adam? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure what speculation was not, but at least Dottie Sports was reporting Apex Mobile is built by Tencent. Mm. Not might, by might be. If, if it's Tencent, I think that could be a little bit of a better, better studio to build it. But both both have uh, killer shooter games for sure. Uh, finally, they talked a lot about live ops, and they do have pretty proven expertise in live ops. Their their teams in Helsinki and Sacramento and Melbourne are all driving these pretty much forever franchises, whether we're talking about real racing or Sim City or um, Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, all of them have, have been excellent at new content production. And they also have this Romanian studio here, at least in Europe, and they probably have other ones that are just amazing at, at churning out new content for, for their, for their uh, top games. On the UA side, I think Eric can touch upon to this, but um, traditionally EA hasn't been known as a studio that is, you know, on a cutting edge of performance marketing. I think ATT gives them an opportunity because it kind of levels up the play field and they have a lot of IPs they can promote. Uh, but, but question will be like, how good are they at growing outside us, especially to my understanding, a lot of, a lot of their marketing functions are in the U S. So how well are they able to do that outside us? And then um, how well, like, how are they going to integrate glues UA teams and, and, and their EA and to, to, EA's team. So that's going to be a, a big question mark. To summarize everything, so the way forward, I think the first step is to settling down on the organization, just adding more clarity and stability of what's going to happen uh, post these acquisitions, post new leadership coming in. Um, number two would be to figure out the central publishing. So how are they going to grow these games? What are the marketing functions? How are they being run? Because I've seen different job ads where it makes very confusing to even understand the growth functions. Like they have uh, performance marketing managers working with brands directly and then performance marketing ma marketing people and campaign people working with games directly. So um, at least looking from the outside, a little bit confusing. Also, to my knowledge, they at least didn't previously have studio-specific marketing resources. So you would have to kind of work with central publishing no matter where your studio is. So if you're here in Helsinki, you might be working with marketing team that is you know, 12 hours away from you or 10 hours away from you. So that, that definitely, you know, creates a little bit of a friction. It also seems like they're launching a lot. So usually kind of looking at the market nowadays, it's, it's better to focus on your launches and, and grow those games rather than, than kind of like machine gunning ton of games um, like it was previously before, I'd say 2014. And, um, and finally, I think, I'm not sure. I've never worked at EA, and this is just my understanding. But I would I would see that if they give more ownership to their satellite satellite studios, meaning if they decentralize the command a little bit, that will allow them to make quicker decisions. Uh, and um, and I, I feel like the sort of like a centralized command where all the uh, all the marching orders are coming from Redwood, um, you know, a little bit eats away. The decision making and and kind of like localizes responsibility, but takes away the ownership for decision making and puts it uh, outside outside of your your realm. So 
I, I don't find the centrally run organization as powerful as uh, as these more of a localized led organization. So anyway, that's my long brief looking at the uh, almost 100 pages of, uh, of text, kind of skimming it through, uh, making some notes, looking at Sensor Tower. But um, what do you think, Eric Kress? I mean, I think the, this is like the first time I think they're really making a go at mobile since the very beginning of mobile. Um, it's not going to be a smooth ride, I can guarantee you, given EA size and scale. But they're finally taking it seriously. They're making some big investments. And as I've said numerous times, Andrew hates mobile, right? He always has hated mobile. And I don't think he really even likes free to play all that much, um, even though he was born and bred out of uh, out of Ultimate Team. But uh and I, and I think also it, it was not only Andrew, but Blake, who's un, unwilling to invest in what it requires to actually make do make a go at mobile. Um, but now it looks like they're making those investments. So that's a good thing, I think. And I think they do have the IP to support it as well. And, you know, as I've said on the podcast before, I think the acquisition of Glue was just more of a PR, you know, or not a PR, but like a, a aggressive move to it. And they spent way too much money for it. But I think they're the, the three products that they get from that will probably be, be a good addition as well. Um, but they have some challenges as, as all things, you know, they need to build up the teams and, and they need to build teams that can optimize the FIFA and Madden, which are probably some of the most under monetized IPs in the world right now on mobile, right? You know, full stop. Um, they need an infrastructure that was basically decimated by Frank and team taking um, you know, sorry, the, the investment in infrastructure has not happened because they haven't cared about mobile. So they need UA, they need publishing, they need backend tech, they need like everything you need to do in order to build a publishing organization, a live ops organization, they probably need to build, right? So that takes time and bodies, right? And leadership, they lost all their leadership to Zynga because Zynga took everybody, right? And so they need to rebuild that up. It's, Jeff Carp can't do this alone, right? You know, they need a ton of people to manage these studios and manage the ops, right? Um, and they need to execute against the products, right? If they, you know, Battlefield by the industrial toys seems super risky to me, given, you know, the, the, the background of them and, and how big this franchise is. Uh, bringing tap sports, for instance, to other sports would be a really good thing for the glue teams to do, but they need to execute against that. And they need to continue to do partnerships. So the Apex partnership is a good start, you know, with NetEase. Um, Tencent. Uh, we keep fucking that up. It's not. Is that easy. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have been fucking that up, huh? Um, but I, I think we will see more of their IP coming to Asian developers, which I don't think is a bad strategy if you don't have the capability of building yourself. But, you know, Jeff Karp has his hands full. And we have, this is what's great. We can continue to monitor their progress and how well they do. How well is FIFA going to monetize this year? How well is Madden going to monetize this year? Can they actually make a difference? Right. Like it's going to be what's great about mobile is you can see it in the data, like almost daily. So, you know, it's fun to track, but um, I have to head out to another call, but um, I, I'm excited to see what they can do. So, Suford, can you talk about EA's kind of like, because they talk a lot about UA. Can you talk about that? Like, how do you see their organization and their growth capabilities? Yeah, I mean, I don't have any inside intel, but my sense uh, just, you know, uh, generally speaking to people that that did know the company well was that they don't really even they don't really have a ua team as such they've got a bunch of people that do some part of ua that are like distributed across different teams they basically their mobile publishing org is non-existent and that's why i thought that you know the idea of acquiring glue um could could solve for that you know glue has an excellent publishing org right they have all the kind of key components in place and if and if that no, that connected. if the glue team just became ea's mobile publishing org that that would have been really value add i don't know if that's going to happen um i've heard there's been maybe like a little bit of drama with that integration um uh, but you know if that would have been the case that probably would have solved a big problem for them i i don't know how um you know, just my understanding of this like weirdly distributed UA org that they have that sits across different, uh, different sort of, uh, you know, kind of teams uh, within different studios. I don't know how that how that's going to sort of be solved for, um, you know, in a, in a, in a way that, uh, you know, in a way that like allows them to, to scale to what their obviously their ambitions are. Right. And that that to me just needs like a like a rewrite, like you just sort of like 
bring someone in to run it and build it, build a team there. Um, because my understanding is that they don't really have one that's like kind of functional and, and, and can, can deploy a lot of budget. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I wanted you just to, to kind of discuss that point because that was brought in as one of the key targets for them is to grow their existing games. And, and especially they, they mentioned like invest more in UA. So just understanding their organization and how it functions at the moment. Well, yeah, um, definitely interesting. And, and for sure, we're rooting for EA because all these IPs are, are fantastic. The games that they've been making previously, they're great. Uh, the IPs that they have are great. So uh, let's see what this shapes up to be. Uh, hopefully they're, you know, I'm very much looking forward at least to the shooters that are launching both Battlefield and Apex Legends. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's going to be interesting. All right. Is that it? All news covered? Yeah. That's it. That's it. For a right. slow week, we did chat quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, catch everybody next week. Bye. T take care. Mm-hmm.